You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter and your host. I've got Tony Pan on the show. He is the CEO of Modern Hydrogen. It's a company that takes natural gas and turns it into hydrogen. Uh, while doing so, he takes out the carbon, which is a bit of a modern miracle. So, uh, Tony, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, Modern Hydrogen. How did it start? What what got you to this particular idea? So we're a clean tech startup. Basically, our founding mission is to make energy both cleaner and cheaper. And that's actually really hard to do, I think. But most folks don't get the true difficulty of getting away from fossil fuels is that fossil fuels are incredibly cheap. Back when oil prices were a bit lower, actually, I think this might be true today now that oil prices have come down. I like to do the analogy that literally like a gallon of oil is cheaper than a gallon of milk at a supermarket. And so that's really hard to beat. And therefore, that's why it takes a lot of ingenuity to find solutions that can not only be clean, but can economically compete with fossil fuels. So our that's our founding mission. And explain that because we basically came out of a clean tech incubator and then uh, had investments uh, directly from Bill Gates to basically build new technology, uh, what Bill likes to call energy miracles, that basically you need new technology uh, a new solution that can come down some cost curve so that at the end of the day, it's fundamentally economically competitive with fossil fuels. That's our belief of what it would take to get any solution to scale. Because as we kind of like to joke in office, but it's really true, like we're based in Seattle. Seattle's a very liberal city, but it really doesn't matter if Seattle goes to like zero emissions. If people in Texas or Mississippi or India, China, don't decarbonize, we're screwed anyways. And most of the places on the planet are not going to do this for some environmental goal. So we we came out of an incubator focused on producing like new technologies that can fundamentally be cost competitive and cleaner at the same time. Sorry, that was a very long answer. And I haven't even told you what the company actually does. But I think if you look at our company, we're like, we're like, 75% engineers or scientists. And so you, you have to understand the flavor of why are we trying to do all these crazy tech? That, that's the reason. Well, uh, you know, I, I think it's an incredible mission when I when I heard about it and I thought uh, this this could get you nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize if it works. So why don't you explain the technology and uh, why it's so revolutionary? So simply put, we produce clean hydrogen by decarbonizing natural gas. Natural gas is chemically what we call CH4. It's one carbon atom and four hydrogen atoms. It's 80% hydrogen already. And hydrogen basically is, if you burn hydrogen for energy, it just produces clean water. So you really have no objections to 80% of natural gas, but it is a fossil fuel because of that one carbon atom in it. And when you burn that, of course, that produces CO2 and goes into the atmosphere and screws up our planet. So we just made the observation, well, what if we can just split this molecule, split it into a solid carbon atom and also clean hydrogen? 
then you can use the clean hydrogen for clean energy, but also do something useful with a solid carbon atom. Now it's no longer CO2. And therefore, you basically decarbonize by avoiding production of CO2 in the first place. Well, I uh, I was researching for the to the show, and I, I saw a little segment that you did on Fox Business, and you showed uh, Maria Bartomeo uh, a little sample of of the carbon that that you had taken out of a you know I think it was a thirty second or a one minute um, amount of running the natural gas uh, furnace, say in an average home, and it was. I don't know, a few ounces of of carbon, which was kind of shocking because it, if we're running it for hours and hours, it must create a heck of a lot of carbon just from one one uh, furnace. So tell us a little bit about what would we do with all this waste product? I mean, the carbon, are we going to just bury it or spread it around? What what's the uh, what's the goal there? Yeah, so. The neat parts of what we do in terms of the technology is that when we pull the carbon out, it is in the form of a material called carbon black. This is actually an existing commodity for over a hundred years. Uh, people use this to build everything from tires, rubber, and asphalt. You know how tires and roads are black colored? That's because they have very high carbon content. And therefore, when we pull this carbon out, not only have we done basically a form of carbon capture away from the gas, you can almost think of this as pre-combustion carbon capture. But then now we have this carbon material that we basically sell for money. Uh, and for our company, we're first focused on the asphalt markets. We have literally sequestered our carbon in you know, roads, pavements, uh, in five states plus Canada now. That's great. So uh, tell me about the... Uh... The rollout. So say you've got this miracle product that uh, takes natural gas and takes the carbon out and then you can sell the carbon to make roads. Um, how are you going to manufacture enough of these units to place in gas, uh, you know, natural gas plants around the world? <laughs> Through a lot of uh, hard work and many years and lots of capital. I want to be very transparent that we're a, we're a startup. We're still less than 100 people. So we have a few units deployed out in the field, but we are still a few years away from being able to make hundreds of these things, if not thousands, per year. And you have to imagine, like these are pretty big boxes. Uh, our hydrogen is intended for use primarily in commercial and industrial. I think that's where you see the frankly where hydrogen is higher valued because some processes in commercial and industrial energy things like literally manufacturing think if you imagine uh, making steel or making giant molten vault like molten glass that those are extremely high temperatures are very hard to electrify and that's why they need hydrogen so we're that's our intended use of hydrogen so we need to produce a lot so these our boxes to do this conversion process are literally the size of shipping containers okay so, uh, we we have a small pilot manufacturing facility in the suburbs of Seattle, about like, I think in Seattle, we have about 40,000 square feet of space, but eventually we're going to need to build a factory that has 
like several hundred thousand square feet to have much larger manufacturing lines to get these things to scale. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the trajectory there? Where are you at on the, the curve in terms of raising money, going public, and uh, rolling out this product uh, on a wider scale? We've raised $100 million to date uh, with a lot of gratitude to our early investors who were who bets on us before the technology was more mature, uh, like Bill Gates. Uh, he has been a very consistent supporter of making these very big bets. In addition, we have raised a lot of money actually from strategics, meaning corporations that see the energy transition as essential and see this technology as making a big needle mover for their business. And in particular, there's two types in our company. Uh, one is major utilities. So next era, energy is the largest publicly traded utility in the US. They back us. National Grid is one of the only them to speed dialization without having to tear up yeah, what most important value props we have is actually this idea of speed and skipping infrastructure because we have 3 million miles of natural gas grid in the United States. Like I like to tell folks, uh, this is true. We use as much natural gas in terms of energy content in the USA as cold plus nuclear plus hydroelectricity plus solar plus wind combined about the same size of natural gas. And we have all this infrastructure to move around, but it's this dirty fossil fuel. We only have less than 2,000 miles of hydrogen pipelines. So less than 2,000 versus 3 million. If we had to wait for new millions of miles of hydrogen pipelines to be built, it's going to take like a century. And so what we can do by basically removing the carbon from natural gas is we allow folks to reuse all like pipeline infrastructure but then still have clean hydrogen at the end of the pipe. And this is very attractive for utilities because that means they can actually meet their decarbonization goals and not have to spend trillions of dollars and 50 years just to get you know, a start. That's a great, <laughs> a great situation to use the existing infrastructure. Uh, you know, I, I guess one thing before we go to the break was that uh, I talked to other guests on the program and saying that we could probably use the natural gas pipelines to to um, distribute hydrogen as well, uh, though they might need to be retooled a bit, but they could be used to um, to transport hydrogen in the future. Uh, maybe we can talk about that after we get back from the break. You're listening to a Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got Tony Pan, who is CEO of Modern Hydrogen, and we'll be right back. To a climate change. This is Matt Mattern. I've got Tony Pan on the program, CEO of Modern Hydrogen. And Tony, right before the break, I was talking about using these three million miles of natural gas pipelines to maybe um, transport hydrogen in the future. Is that uh, doable or not doable? Pragmatically, not really doable unless you're willing to spend uh, crazy amounts of money. Uh, so. How would I put this? A lot of the gas companies have a very strong incentive to 
describe a future where a hundred percent hydrogen is flowing through the pipes uh, to justify how things uh, can work out for for them in the future. But uh, it doesn't really check the physics, chemistry, and engineering box. Hydrogen is the lightest element in the universe, which means it's very small, uh, and therefore. Hydrogen is uniquely hard to transport. So there are some that you can look at in the U.S. government's Department of Energy and National Research Council reports. But basically, they observed that you can probably mix 20% of hydrogen and 80% of natural gas, and that will flow through the pipeline fine. But once you get to much higher purities of hydrogen flowing through a conventional gas pipeline, you need to change the pipes, you need to change the compressors, uh, you need to change all the well points. And like that sounds to me like you're changing a majority of what's going on. And sure, like you could probably still use the existing right-of-way. Yeah, you know, you can uh so you, you can still use the same land, but you're basically replacing most of the parts of the pipe. So that's gonna cost like a trillion dollars. And it goes to the fact, like to give you a sense, sorry if I nerd out a bit, I'm, I'm before I was like a business guy, I, I was an actual scientist. Uh, hydrogen is so small, the atom is so small that there are some materials that hydrogen can pass through. Like it can pass through walls because hydrogen is smaller than the gap between other atoms. So, and so like that, that's why you get like leak when they have like welds in traditional gas pipes, hydrogen will leak through because due to the material used in some of the welds and joints, uh, Hydrogen will just pass through that solid material. So, no, you can't use uh, existing gas pipeline infrastructure without any modification and puts 100% hydrogen in. Okay, but we could go up to 20% hydrogen through the through the existing pipelines, which would yeah. Be, so you can make perfect. progress on decarbonizing. That's absolutely true. Like 20% would be fine. Yeah, it's a big leap forward from where we're at now, which is probably yeah. zero. Um, you know, I'm kind of curious as to your take on this and a little off topic, but since you're a hydrogen genius, I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, there's been a lot in the news recently about some places striking uh, out and getting uh, finding reserves of clean hydrogen in um, just like drilling for oil or natural gas. People are drilling now for hydrogen. And uh, do you see that as... Um, you know, being a great leap forward, do you see it affecting your business? Um, or do you still think that uh, there'll still be a great need for your product, even if they strike mother loads of clean hydrogen? It's definitely a minor competitor to our business for sure. But uh, honestly, as a sustainability guy, I'm actually pretty excited. It's early. We don't like the error bars on how much clean hydrogen reserves are there underneath the, the ground. Like the error bars on the estimates are like a hundred X or a thousand X. So it's going to take a few years to figure out if this is actually real or not, but it's just promising. And like, let, let's just say, I know some the leaders in this space, uh, it's, it's exciting. Let, let me explain why. Cause, uh, we know clean, clean hydrogen can be naturally produced in nature. The surprise here is that we also know, know clean hydrogen is like actively destroyed. So in the past century, there was not a lot of expectation that you could actually get big accumulations of hydrogen deposits underground. But there's been a few findings that have found like modest reserves. Uh, and that's why there's a lot of excitement and hype in the sector. But the reason behind the excitement is that 
yeah, we don't really know how big the reserves are down there, but if there are big ones, remember I said like the hardest thing about fossil fuels is that they're actually really cheap. Uh, so drilling technology, then, you know, it looks like big heavy equipment, but actually drilling for stuff is really cheap. So if they actually find a large hydrogen reserve underground, then they can basically drill for hydrogen at the price you would drill for natural gas, which is also super cheap. So this could be one of the cleanest forms of clean hydrogen in the market. Sorry, one of the cheapest forms of clean hydrogen on market. And that's why there's a lot of excitement. Yeah. Now, yeah. The issue is these will be in weird geological formations. So they're in the middle of nowhere. And remember, I said hydrogen is one of the hardest fuels to transport. So basically, the expectation is that like most of this hydrogen coming out, like it's not economical to truck it anywhere. So you're probably talking about scenario where the majority of hydrogen, like you're going to move your ammonia plants or some uh, or maybe like sustainable aviation fuel factory directly where these geological sites are. So they will definitely help decarbonize some application of hydrogen, but they can't do close to everything, not even close, because the hydrogen is not going to be located where the demand users for hydrogen are going to be. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating how this puzzle uh, is fitting together. And uh, I guess that's why lots of experts are saying, hey, we should try all these different technologies because you don't know at this point in time how they're all going to play out. But getting back to the tech that you were working on at, at Modern Hydrogen, uh, maybe you could kind of go back to the beginning as to what what led you to this path um, as you were in school and uh, what what led you into the the field of kind of being an environmentalist? So I'm a physicist by training. So uh, just, I, I hate you know, credentials, but my education was like Stanford undergrad physics and then Harvard PhD physics. So uber nerd by training, but really why I'm in sustainability. Uh, I spent five years in the UK as a kid and we watched BBC and like I watched like all the David Attenborough nature documentaries. I, I like I literally like I uh, wrote a letter to the Prime Minister John Mayer at the time of hey like can we ban fox hunting and all that. Like I was that kid. Uh, I, I thought I was gonna join Greenpeace. Uh, and so yeah, like that's always been a big uh, part of what I care about. I don't really know why that is, but I just I was that kid. And uh, it's like, I, I want there to be like a rich planet, like in terms of the, you know, the, the, the grandeur of nature uh, still around uh, when I'm old and for my children and grandchildren, right? And, uh, but yeah, but I think also from a physicist standpoint, it was very clear energy was ex exciting, like, the physicist's view of like human civilization, right, would be the industrial revolution. What happened in industrial revolution is that per capita, per human being, energy use went up a hundred fold. The difference between us and someone living in the 16th, 17th century is that each American uses a hundred X more energy. And that is where our quality of life came from. And so like that sector is was always like sort of fundamentally exciting to me. So that, that's that's where yeah that, that that's that's how I got into the field. So then, what led you to this kind of discovery of 
of splitting the carbon off of a natural gas molecule um, and then kind of patenting this technology. Is this something that uh, you're considering uh, sharing with other companies or is this something that uh, you guys are going to just roll out um, yourselves? Primarily roll out ourselves, at least in the markets close to us. So uh, in think North America, we are going to roll out ourselves with a lot of other kinds of partners, think channel partners, sales partners. We work very closely with the utilities. Now in other countries, we just started our first international partnership last year in Japan uh, with a company actually that like, like this single company <laughs> is responsible for, I think, 2.5% of all of Japan's emissions. Like they make a like half of Japan's steam. And so uh, with, with companies like that, we will take a, a closer collaboration. Like we'll, we'll hand off more pieces for them to do. Just it's not as practical for us being a company in the U.S. to do everything by ourselves in the global markets. So you license your products to other companies. Yeah. Okay. We, we may also manufacture some components. We we don't, that international model, we haven't completely figured out yet, to be honest. Yeah, it's fascinating because uh, based upon the technology and my understanding of it, um, this really is world shaking because you're taking what is a major power source and taking it and making it clean. What is the, I'm, I'm curious, we're going into a break right now, but after we get back from the break, talking about what is the government, both in the US, the EU, and other places around the world doing to encourage this technology because it seems like it could be uh, revolutionary. So uh, you're listening to A Climate Change. I'm talking to T Tony Pan, who is the uh, CEO of Modern Hydrogen. And we'll be right back in just a minute after the break to talk more to Tony about this amazing technology. to a climate change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got Tony Pan on the program of Modern Hydrogen. Uh, Tony, right before the break, asking you about government and its role in encouraging this technology. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what government is doing or not doing to, uh, to help you, you know, change the world. So here, I do actually want to give a shout out to policymakers, which I think is pretty rare nowadays. But the Inflation Reduction Act, right, is biggest climate bill on the planet right now. And one of the most generous supports in the Inflation Reduction Act is for clean hydrogen. And at least uh, coming out of Congress, the, the laws were written, I think, in a fairly smart manner, which really helps startups like me. Uh, and uh, frankly, helps innovators because uh, a lot of times when government write rules, they kind of make it like they do pick winners and losers. They just right? Hey, like this corn is going to get like subsidy for ethanol production and keep like the voters in Iowa swing state happy. Uh, but for the clean hydrogen subsidy, it's called like section 45B. The, the rules are, they didn't pick any particular technology to win or lose. It's a flat playing field. As long as you are clean, you will get the subsidy. It just measures, hey, how much CO2 emissions are associated per kilogram of hydrogen production? And even better, 
the cleaner you are, the, the less CO2 emissions you have with your hydrogen production, uh, you get much more subsidy. It's it's back and linear. So there's this very strong incentive to push to clean hydrogen production. But at the end of the day, it's just open for everybody, open for us, open for our competitors. And that was a pretty smart way to write the law. Well, it's great to hear that our policymakers uh, had a win on that front. Uh, had a number of guests talk about the IRA and how good it is, but I think uh, I don't recall anybody uh, making this particular point that you're making, which is writing the law to incentivize good behavior, and that's that's good law writing, you know, a uh, good legislation. So uh, love to hear more of that in the future from our governmental officials. Why don't we just talk a little bit about, um, go back to this carbon piece and what what your company is doing with the carbon that gets created when you're splitting the um, the natural gas molecule and uh, and why that's so important. Yeah. So the beauty about what we are doing really is selling the carbon as a material and locking it into the ground. So let me tackle the economic angle first. Our business model in some sense is really dumb. It's the simplest one uh, in existence, right? Buy low, sell high. What do I mean by that? Uh, natural gas in the United States is super, super cheap. And usually people just burn us for energy. And we we have basically enabled the observation that, hey, if you can split the carbon out in the right in the right quality, then the carbon is actually more useful and much more economically valuable. Think an extra zero is more than 10 times more valuable to sell the carbon as a material versus burning it for fuel. And therefore, what we're really doing is, you know, get natural gas for cheap and then sell the components carbon and hydrogen for a lot more money. That's it. That's a business model. And that also goes back to my economic piece of this allows us to do the transition in a scalable and competitive way. Like we don't, we will get the, you know, we qualify for all sorts of government support and incentives from the IRA, but we don't really need it because ultimately, right? Like uh, for a lot of other folks, for example, let's take CO2 capture, carbon capture and sequestration. Essentially, CO2 is a waste product. And so people spend money capturing it and injecting it in old, old oil fields. And for most part, they to do all this work, they rely on government paying them, uh, paying them for the seal to avoid it. We don't rely on that. Like our carbon is more than 10 times more valuable than doing the seal to capture stuff. And the people buying our carbon don't necessarily care anything about the clean credentials. They just need the carbon as a solid, useful material to build their build their stuff. Uh, today, so like road, so as I said, right, we sell a carbon to basically make roads, asphalt. So if you look at road, road, it is today made from a bunch of aggregates and this material called asphalt or bitumen that is basically made from the oil and gas industry. So, and, uh, and so, uh, basically we allow folks to buy less other products and buy our stuff. And it helps actually make roads 10 to 20% stronger. So they're doing all of this, uh, not because the government's forcing them to, but just because it's good for their wallets. And I think that's kind of the holy grail in any like climate solution. 
right? Like how how do I convince somebody who is much less rich in uh, in China to go and do this? Right. Well, that's that's amazing and and a great outcome there. Making using less oil and gas products to make asphalt asphalt uh, and and using this carbon, which is a better product and and is sequestering carbon at the same time. I guess I have a question in terms of say we roll this out and uh, you know we're just making uh, megatons of this carbon black from uh, which is the kind of waste product from splitting the natural gas. Uh, how many will we really have a use for all of it? I know there's use for it making the asphalt and the roads, but do we make that much? <laughs> you know, do we make have that many roads to uh, <clears throat> to use all this carbon black, or that, are there yeah. other purposes for it? That's a phenomenal question. The answer is not to decarbonize all of natural gas. So, in the next like twenty years, I'm not worried. Uh, Two hundred million tons of uh, bitumen is used every year just to make roads. So uh, there is so much runway for us uh, to grow and expand as a business and make sure this carbon has a home to go to. But <laughs> uh, as big as the asphalt markets is, uh, natural gas is bigger right now. Uh, it's still much bigger. And so at some point, you, you do run out of like roads where you can sequester this stuff. And so then you need to go into other market applications. And one, one that we're looking very closely at is also concrete. We've done some tests where concrete with some of our carbon mixed in becomes stronger. And that is a that is much higher volume than even like roads. And so that could be another market to swallow all this carbon. But yeah, sort of what I hope will happen in 20 years is that actually some of a lot of natural gas demand goes down because things have been electrified. So there's actually less gas that like is needed for my company to decarbonize. I know this is like maybe, uh, <laughs> but you know I'll I'll tell this to investors too. Like I, uh, I like I don't want to decarbonize all the natural gas on the planet. I, I want some of that to I don't want a lot of that to be electrified. But it's just that there's all these applications, especially in commerce and industry, or making like food that you can't electrify. And so like our technology needs around to like make hydrogen for that. But I hope that. Actually, like we don't have to uh, find a home for all the carbon pulled out of the current demand from natural gas because it's going to go down. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it, we're going to work in concert with other technologies. Uh, when do you think you're looking at uh, having an IPO with the company? Or is that something? I'd say four to five years. It's always not necessarily the company's choice because you also look at market conditions like Last year or this year would probably not be a good time for IPO, and we're too early anyways. So, but I, I think in four to five years' time, we'll definitely be ready, and it would just be, hey, how how's the market condition looking? What's the right time? The you probably heard of the, the trend, right? Like because of the large influx of private equity and venture capital, startups have had the optionality to stay private for longer and time the market conditions. So that's probably what we'll do. Okay, tell us a little bit about this project on biogas that you're doing, and and why is that so exciting? Oh, it's our smallest project, but I'm most excited about it. So, biogas, right? I think basically biogas is produced uh, to be net zero, like it's neutral, because 
uh, CO2 gets sucked out the atmosphere by plants like grass, and then uh, and then biogas is either manufactured from the plant itself, or in some cases, right, a cow eats the grass, and then the biogas comes from the cow's waste products, like literally cow poop. Uh, so. So when you burn up biogas, it emits the CO2 back into the atmosphere, but because the CO2 came from the atmosphere, it's, it's neutral. But now, if you add our technology onto the biogas, then we break the biogas apart and end up with clean hydrogen and solid carbon that we are sequestering into the ground. So when you pair biogas with our technology, it is equivalent to pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere and putting carbon back into the ground. This is the holy grail of negative emissions. Uh, in the Paris Climate Accords, it's already pretty much admitted that it's kind of already too late. We've already emitted CO2 too much in the atmosphere. We are going to need ways to pull CO2 back out and put it underground to truly save the planet. And that's incredibly hard. And I think our technology solution is one of like maybe less than like four options on the table that can actually economically do that. So this is like one of the only ways I think that would be pragmatic to repair the atmosphere. And that just makes me happy. Yeah, that's super exciting. So tell us a little bit about how that works in a practical application and also how you came up with this uh, idea. And is it patented? Uh, yeah, like we, we have a lot of patents. Oh, we pay a lot. Unfortunately, have to spend a lot of money on lawyers. Uh, the, <laughs> the hard thing about doing deep tech is like anybody can cut our thing in half and then look at how it works inside. And so we need to be very judicious about trade secrets and patents. Uh, it's right, like it, it'd be terrible for our investors if they spent all these, like I mean, literally, right? We raised a hundred million dollars. They invested all this money and then just let like China copy it. <laughs> like that, that wouldn't be great. Right, so, uh, so what, uh... We're going to go into a break, but maybe when we come back, uh, you just will tell me kind of in the audience a little few secrets about your technology and, and we won't let uh, anybody else know. It'll just kind of be our secret. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, here, here's the secret sauce. Here's the, the secret sauce is coming. Everybody stay tuned. Uh, Tony's going to give you the secrets of the universe in just one minute. Uh, you're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Matter, and I've got Tony Pan, Modern Hydrogen, on the program. We'll be right back. to a climate change and i've got tony pan of modern hydrogen on the program tony right before the break you were uh, planning to give us the secrets to biogas and how to create negative emissions which is as you said the holy grail of um, of the environmental movement which is to sequester more carbon uh and pull it out of the atmosphere so that we can potentially um really give ourselves a better chance at not having a complete environmental disaster. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't actually reveal the secrets of how the technology works, but the I will say that like in, in our technology space, really the carbon piece is the more important piece, right? 
So it turns out it's actually not that hard to uh, split uh, fossil fuels into hydrogen and carbon. Uh, you just basically puts it in a box without oxygen and heats it to very high temperatures. Uh, it's called pyrolysis. Uh, you can break a lot of hydrocarbons uh, up if you just heat it in a low oxygen or no oxygen environment. The hard pieces that is the really the secret sauce of our technology is number one, uh, being able to do it so that the carbon comes out of a particular quality. That's hard because the carbon, like again, right, the economics depend on you being able to sell the carbon for a lot of money. And we can. Uh, we already have. Uh, but like that part's hard to get right. Second is like solid handling. Like this is a lot of uh, carbon that has been created. Uh, it turns out you create probably three to four kilograms of carbon per kilogram of hydrogen, and carbon is just heavier. So you actually need a lot of, I think, mechanical systems to handle the carbon. That's also really hard and something that we're very good at. Uh, and the last thing is do this efficiently. Uh, this process, right, I said, you, know, you do need to heat it up so it takes energy. And so if you're not like doing this efficiently, uh, you end up wasting a lot of energy. It hurts the economics. It hurts the overall like CO2 footprint. Uh, and so you also need to get that right. So uh, devil's in the details. Right. As far as the biogas, let me just kind of get back to it in terms of like animal uh, creation of, of biogas. How, how is it that you could capture any of that? It seems uh, that's kind of a difficult, tricky uh, thing. Ah, yeah, good question. So the simple answer is other folks do that. <laughs> our company doesn't. So, for example, our project is literally with cow poop. So there is an existing biogas farm uh, in Washington State, actually with the Tulalip tribe, uh, 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 the, the locals that uh, basically lately have a cow farm and they collect the cow poop and puts it into what's called a digester. So that all the cow poop ferments and then that emits essentially uh, methane, which is the biogas that you need to put, put through some filter so it's pure enough. But they've actually already built that, and there's biogas projects all around the country. Oh. But yeah, you basically have to uh, aggregate aggregate the the material, whether it's plants or animal waste, and then you basically let it ferment. Okay, it's actually not that dissimilar from what happens in your gut. If you you know, frankly, when you burp or flatulence, a lot of that is also uh, methane, natural fermentation. So this is more artificial fermentation. Uh, so, but other companies deal with that. Uh, we add on the step to turn the biogas into clean hydrogen and sequestered negative footprint carbon. So you're taking that cow poop emissions and and uh, taking it and cleansing it further than what the you know the existing technology was. Is that yeah, that's right. So again, biogas it can reach carbon neutral, but we can turn it carbon negative. Mm -hmm. So. Tell us just one more time for those of us who didn't do as well as physics that you as you did um, or chemistry uh, how that's done. Yeah, so it all starts with photosynthesis, which is plants. Right, plants make their food by using sunlight, water, and CO two pulled from the atmosphere to make sugars. So plants are sucking CO two out of the atmosphere all the time. Usually, uh, unfortunately, what happens afterwards is like the plant dies and then decays and the CO2 gets re-emitted back in the atmosphere. 
but you can step into it. Uh, if you step into it either by harvesting the plant material, or in some cases, if the cow eats it, then you're har harvesting the cow material. Uh, if you harvest that material and ferment it, uh, in, in the process, uh, methanes, uh, which is the same chemical as natural gas, is created. And now if you interfere in that loop and capture it, then you can use that for energy and burn it. And usually when you do that, yeah, when you burn it, the CO2 does end up back in the atmosphere again. So it's just a closed cycle. CO2 comes back, comes from the atmosphere in the plant. And then when you burn the, the fuel that's created, the CO2 gets re-emitted back in the atmosphere. But net net, it nets out at zero. With modern hydrogen intervening in the process, now when we intervene uh, and take the fuel, the, the methane molecule, CH4, and split it up into solid carbon and hydrogen, then we put a solid carbon back into the ground, CO2 is never created, and then hydrogen is used for fuel and that burns cleanly, which means that we've stopped the latter end of the CO2 going back into the atmosphere. So then you still have the front end where the plants are pulling it out. So plants are pulling CO2 out of the atmosphere with modern involved. The CO2 does not get back into the atmosphere and therefore net-net, it's negative emissions. You are, you, are, you are sucking CO2 from the atmosphere and putting putting the carbon in the ground. Thank you, Tony, you're, you're a good teacher. So uh, I think you've educated me at least uh, to, you know, maybe a little higher than kindergarten level. Uh, we've got a ways to go on my chemistry education, but you've made a good start. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, infrastructure permitting and the electricity grid. And you've certainly heard a lot about that recently. And, and what's uh, your kind of and modern hydrogen's, um, you know, kind of concerns related to that uh, going yeah. forward. Thank you. So modern hydrogen, one of modern hydrogen's superpower is uh, being able to reuse existing infrastructure to deliver clean energy. Uh, in fact, that's uh, for our utility partners. That's the most important reason why they're engaging with us. But this is still a problem that deeply concerns me as just someone in the sector and. Uh, environmentalist frankly right like we need to electrify uh how lots of our economy for example with renewable electrons solar and wind uh and hydro and nuclear and all that but uh essentially look at all the projections energy demand is still going up right uh and there are few statistics that people in climate typically know right electricity is only one third of all energy demand and even in electricity today, renewables are about like 10%. So solar and wind, I think 12%. So, you know, they're, they're 12% of 33%. So they're a tiny fraction of total energy. And we need that to go up. And because renewables are intermittent, it is even more important to have transmission and distribution lines because you need to, the sun, actually solar typically has a capacity of only 20%. Uh, versus their peak capacity a day because the sun goes up and down and then you know and then there's night so it becomes even more important to have grids that can move electrons around uh so that you can have access to renewable electrons from different locations because they're not all going to be up at the same time so it goes comes down to like we need to double at least double if not triple the capacity of our grid uh to to do a sensible fraction of the energy transition and in contrast, so the U.S. grid is, depending how you count it, six to seven million miles long. Last year, I think about 
a few hundred miles of transmission lines were permitted. And those were after like a 15-year process. Oh, so we were only able to build a few hundred. And but we need to double or triple something that has a baseline of millions. So we're like we're kind of screwed. Our inability to build infrastructure is totally going to derail the energy transition. Like my company is sort of doing our part about it by offering a technology solution that skips the need to build infrastructure, but we're not going to be enough. Like this is like a, this is a huge issue. Well, I feel like uh, we need to do more rooftop solar and so that the solar is at the site of where the users are, not yeah. far away from it. And that could help. And, uh, you know, just uh, talking with Arnold Schwarzenegger at a, an event recently and saying, hey, if we put rooftop solar on every commercial building in California, we have enough to power the entire state. So, and then we wouldn't have to permit out in the desert and wherever else, but uh, that's something that needs to be worked on. So Tony, tell us a little bit in just the last minute before we uh, sign off, a little bit about what you're doing at the company, how how fast are you guys growing and hiring and and what does it look like to, to work at this fast paced uh, you know, tech startup? It's crazy. It's a frenetic energy in the office, right? Uh, uh, and I, I will say startups are not for everyone. Uh, we we have to change our processes or uh, uh, every year because we're just scaling too fast. So something that works for like a 50-person company does not work for a 100-person company. Something that works when you're only having like, uh, you know, three units out in the field does not work when you have 10. Uh, so you have to like reinvent yourself every year. But right now uh, we have... Uh, our hydrogen in the, like actual hydrogen units in the ground is in two states and we are uh, working on projects in four states and our carbon is in like five states and so you know there's like 50 states in the country so it's a lot of what's next is just do a lot more find a way to do a lot more and that means more people bigger factories better production lines finding more customers more sales more marketing uh everything well, we appreciate your great work and appreciate you coming on the program to share the miracle of modern hydrogen with the audience. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, watching you guys grow to uh, help save our planet. So Tony Pan, great work that you're doing. And again, thank you for uh, being on the show. Thank you. Uh, it's so important to just convince, I think, more and more people that this is important, uh, the climate fight. Absolutely. So uh, best wishes going forward, and uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Thank you. We can change.